Hope you're doing well. Kids, uh, elementary school kids, you're dismissed to your class. It looks like a bunch of you have already bailed, um, which is fine. I don't take offense to that. Um, but if you want to go, if you're an ele elementary school age kid, you can uh, go to your class now. Uh, it was brought to my attention that I haven't been doing that for the last couple of months. So parents, if you've been like, when are they going to dismiss my kid and I haven't done it, that's on me. Okay, sorry for not serving you well. All right, we are in Exodus chapter 20. Um, Today, we'll actually close out Exodus chapter 20. So let me tell you what, guys. We're officially, after today, halfway through the book of Exodus. Okay. It's either a really good sign, you guys are really enjoying Exodus, or you're like, man, come on, are we, let's go, let's get this over. Um, before we do that, I do, I do want to bring a couple of things to your attention. Next Sunday, uh, here at the Park and Rec, uh, at 9 o'clock, we've been trying to get our church into a regular rhythm in habit of praying together. And so you don't have to be a member. You don't even have to have come here regularly. If, you've just, if you are going to be here again next week, would you come at nine? And just as we, brothers and sisters in Christ, covenant to pray together. And uh, so it's a time that we do that. We take about 30 minutes and we'll, the elders will guide the prayer um, and also give you space uh, to pray in groups. And it's a great way to meet people, but also to be very intentional with our time together. And then in two weeks on February the 12th uh, is our next Next Steps class, which is where we kind of just talk about who we are as a branch, kind of nuts and bolts. And so um, <clears throat> let me do this too. If you've been to a Next Steps class and you're like, and you're still here and you haven't, gone through that final step of membership. You could do it now and no one would think anything about it. Like, why did it take you so long? You just jump in with the next batch and it'll be fine. So that's a freedom from me to you. You're welcome. That was 100% that was free. And then lastly, uh, this, is, this is kind of actually blown up within the last 30 minutes. Uh, the women's Bible study was set to start uh, on the 7th of February with one group meeting on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. And now I think there are three groups meeting. Um, at different times. So we'll be sure to get that out. So if you're a college student or you're a working mom or you're a working woman who can't come at 10 o'clock, just know that there's other groups that are now meeting. Uh, and that's because of you guys wanting to do that. So that's awesome. Way to go. But let's jump back in uh, then to Exodus, okay? Uh, I think this morning the best way for us to begin is just for the reminder that the book of Exodus is the story of us. This was a book written to us and it was a book written for us. Uh, we are the characters of this story, even though we were not yet roaming the earth. But the, the wrestlings of the Hebrew people are the same things that we wrestle with today. And so if you've been around and you've made it all the way through chapter 20 of Exodus, this is not the first time you've heard it. And I think today, this is, <clears throat> can I be transparent? Um, this is a message, we, got, we just finished the Ten Commandments, okay? And that was last week and the week before. So we had two weeks on the Ten Commandments. And now we're, we're on the backside of God giving his law, and Moses is coming down Mount Sinai back to the people. And the people kind of panic. And this is, a, this is a message I have been longing to preach since we started Exodus. Now, some will say the Red Sea, which I had the privilege to get to preach the Red Sea because somebody got sick. But this is one where I think God really strikes at the heart of who we are in 2023. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm excited, I'm eager, um, and just know that 
the, guy, the guys who come up here into the pulpit, uh, they preach the sermon to themselves first. And so know that this is a sermon that has worked in my own life and convicted my own sinful heart, and I'm excited to share some of that with you today. So Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 18 through 26 is our task for today. We're going to take it in two micro-sermons, okay? So we'll have uh, 18 through 21, and then we'll pick back up in 22 through 26 at the end, okay? But I think it's important, again, for us to remember that God's people are finally free from bondage, and now they're having to learn to live together, okay? Uh, They'd always lived under the heavy rule of Pharaoh, and now they're free, and now they're starting to figure out, oh, life together is hard, right? Does anybody have a roommate? If you're married, this this doesn't count, okay? I'm going to exclude you from this because you got your own thing to work out here. But if you have a roommate, like I remember when I moved to college and I had my first roommate that wasn't a a family member, right? And we had some some rules that we had to set. Like, bro, you can't cut your fingernails on the sofa. Um, If you're going to shave in the sink, clean it up. And please stop chewing tobacco in the shower, right? I mean, it was just basic human nature, right? I mean, those are things that you wouldn't think you have to establish. But yet on day one, these were rules that got established because it was going to help guide our season of life together. This is what God is doing with the people of Israel, okay? So God sets forth his law, and now what? Verse 18, chapter 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid, and they trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for a time to gather this morning, we're thankful for a uh, time of worship and just the, the beauty of the songs that we sang to start our gathering this morning. I pray that that will be the song that echoes in our hearts and in our minds throughout the rest of this week. And so I'm grateful for that. And God, I pray now that you would go before us. Help us to stay faithful to your text, to give us courage to see you clearly, convict our hearts where they need to be convicted in in all things. We pray that we magnify you and make much of your son, Jesus. So we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so a few months ago, um, we started talking about theophanies. Do you guys remember that word? If you're new, you may not know the word theophany. It's just a really fancy word to say a tangible expression of God. Okay, and so look like? It looks like the, uh, the pillar of clouds and fire that guides the people once they've left Egypt and they're going through the wilderness. They don't know where to go, and God takes them what? Not the short way, but the long way around as a way to protect them. It was a grace, okay? It was a grace to the people, but he was with them physically, tangibly. He was in a cloud of uh, smoke and uh, in a pillar of fire, and so we have this, and, they're, and he's actually tangibly guiding the people. We see it now again, where the thunders and the lightning coming off of the mountain is the presence of God, the presence of a holy one who is greater than we are, but has made himself available, has made himself tangible. And so what do the people do? And this is where I think we need to really rest. This isn't the first time. If you remember right before Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, 
There's another theophany, right? And I'm going to read from Exodus 19. This is verse 16. It says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, okay? And a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. So the trembling's not new in chapter 20. They've been trembling for a minute, all right? Verse 17, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Okay? And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The sound of the trumpeters, the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered in a thunder. Verse 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. Okay, do you see it? It's a tangible expression of God. He came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So a few things. We see Moses' obedience, okay? Moses is an example for us to live by. Was Moses perfect? No. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen. He was a murderer. He was a cheat. A lot of these commands were written specifically to Moses' life. Moses will eventually fall away. We know this, and we've talked about this. And he will stay steadfast in his faith, but he's not perfect, and I think if I could just encourage you real quickly, this is not a thing in the sermon, but you're not called to be perfect. You're called to follow someone who's perfect. Okay, so what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you've, you're called to follow me. We're called to follow Jesus. Now, my job is to say, why don't you come, all of our jobs is you come follow me as I follow Jesus. That's how we invite people into the story. This is what Paul's saying, right? And again, I'll be the first person to tell you, and you know this, that I don't stand up here as the perfect guy. But I'm willing to do the hard work. And I think this is at the heart of what God's doing at the base of Mount Sinai to rub shoulders together and really live life together. And this law, these boundaries that God is setting forth is to protect them because he loves them. Okay, so that's what we get. So we have a theophany on Moses' way up and we get a theophany on Moses' way down. So what do the people do? They panic. They kind of freak out. Okay, what would you do? Right? I mean, I'm going to be, I would do the same thing. Like, all of a sudden, you know, Mount Yona is like covered in smoke and fire and it's thundering and the earth is shaking and I'm not, I'm leaving. I'm running away. Okay? But on the front side of Mount Sinai, what happens? The people draw near to the mountain. Because at this point, they're hopeful that God's going to give them what they want. Okay? And Moses comes down, all of a sudden, they're not getting what they want, but they're getting what God desires for them. And so they tremble in fear, and they pull back, okay? And I don't know, maybe some of you are in a season where you've, where you've retreated, where you've pulled back. And praise God that you're here, because it's in that life together. And Jared said this this morning, like, the most important thing we do outside of Sunday is life together, biblical community, when we do that in family groups. And so if you're not in one, you need to get not because we need our groups to be bigger, but we need you to be in life together with someone else, because that's what God has for you. And that's what we see with the people of Israel. They are afraid and they tremble. Because here's, here's the reality here, and this is the truth that I want you to take away. The law exposes us. The law exposes us. And our response to that exposure is fear and shame. That's what's happening to the people of Israel. That's what's happening to us when our sin is exposed, right? If you're apart from Christ and someone steps on your toesies, right, you feel shame. This is a weight that you're not designed to carry alone. So here's what that looks like. We pick up our shame, don't we? It's like a brick. We pick it up and we hold on to it. And we go through a season of life and our arms get tired and then something else happens. 
And we pick up another brick of shame and we lay it on top of the other brick and we muster, we strengthen ourselves to try to walk through life together and we're growing weary. We're growing tired because those are bricks that you're not designed to carry. And so what do we see in Christ? Christ takes that weight to the cross on our behalf. And so listen, if you're in Jesus this morning, I'll get to, if you're not in Jesus, we're going to come to that. But if you're in Jesus and you're carrying your burden into this room, let it go. Straight up, let it go. Now, that's easy for me to say. I understand that. It's hard for us to do. But when you're walking through life together with people who love you and care for you, like Moses cares for his people, people will encourage you to let it go. Christ didn't go on the cross for you to carry your own burden. That is the truth. That is the gospel truth. He went so that he would take your burden. And guess what we get in return? His inheritance. Okay? So if you're not in Christ, let me tell you, the stuff that you're carrying around, the stuff that's keeping you up at night, the stuff that's wearing you out, the stuff that's leading you to repeat the same sins over and over, and sin, all we mean is the the stuff that separates us from God. The stuff that you're carrying as shame is generally sin. Okay? Christ has come to free you from that. And there's going to be a bunch of people, there's probably a bunch of people in this room right now who would stand up with you and walk out right now to share what Christ's freedom and their life has done for them. And their prayer and their hope is that you would see the same freedom in Christ. It's called grace. So today's entire message is about grace. All right? Are we okay? I just went real hard. And I'm in the intro. I'm sorry. I'm telling you, I get excited about some of this stuff and it just happens. It's just the way that it goes. So what, what, is it, what happens to us? When the law exposes us, our response shouldn't be fear and shame. It should be relief. It should be joy that leads to worship. Okay? Not embarrassment. Listen, if anyone was to walk in here and say, shame on you for living your life this way, that's someone who's never had the plank pulled out of their own eye. Okay? You've been called to live in freedom, and that freedom should lead us to worship. This is because the law does not have the power to save only to threaten us with judgment and to show us our need for someone else to come to fulfill the law. We call that salvation in the church. And generally people who have been saved say, amen. Okay, love it. Happy Sunday. But God's testing the people here, okay? He's testing them not in order to learn something new. And here comes another fancy word. Because God's omniscient, okay? Omniscient just means that God knows everything. There's nothing in your life, including the little brick that you're carrying around that you think no one else knows that you're carrying around, God knows. And that's, he's not there to judge you. He's there to say, I want that brick too. Will you, give it, will you give it over? Give it to me. I'll take it. So God's testing them not to learn something new, but he's testing them to prove to them that he is after their highest possible good. That's the truth of the gospel. He's after our highest possible good good. So Moses's job is then to reassure the people that God's not come down to kill them, but to test them, okay? Um, Galatians 4, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. We're going to spend some time in Galatians, so if you want to work your way there, I'll come back to Galatians chapter 4, because we're also going to go to fruit of the Spirit at the end, all right? So if you want to stick a finger or a ribbon in Galatians, we'll spend some time there uh, later in the morning. But the fear of the people demands a mediator, okay? So they Moses comes down, they get scared, they retreat, and then they're talking to Moses, we're not going to talk to God anymore. And please don't let God talk to us. 
So will you be the mediator? Will you be the guy on our behalf who goes to God and brings our petitions to him? And then will you be the mediator in reverse where you bring the word from the Lord to us? Because we don't want to hear directly from Yahweh. But again, in Christ, Christ has come to be a better mediator. And now instead of being far off, we're brought near. Okay? We're brought near to God the Father. This is a song that we were just singing, King of Kings. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. It's the Spirit's convicting our life to point us to the truth and beauty of who Jesus is so that we could be reconciled to the Father who created us. That's it. That's it. That's the whole gospel story wrapped up just like that. Now we have a beautiful Bible here uh, that has, takes that story and the, the, the ribbon of salvation is, is woven through the whole thing. But this is what we've been called to do. The fear of man demands a mediator and Jesus has come to be a better mediator. He wasn't kept out of the promised land. He is the promised land. Okay? So we no longer have to stand a long way off. We can stand near, and we can stand near in confidence because it's no longer our garbage that God is looking at, but he's looking at the beauty of his son when he sees us. Okay? So Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5, and then we're going to jump back into Exodus 20. We're going to do a little bit of work, and then we're going to come back to Galatians, so keep a mark there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born what? It's on the screen. Under the law. Okay? So is the law bad? The law is not bad. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. Okay? As sons and as daughters. Here's what I love about adoption. And some in, our, in the room have walked through seasons of adoption and have their family uh, has been, their children have been chosen to be a part of them. Now, God chose them to be a part of the family, but they chose them. This is why I love adoption. I didn't get to pick my kids. I love my kids. I didn't pick them. Now I'm stuck with them, okay? But in adoption, you go and you, you, you're going through a process. Now, it's the world that we live in. There's a whole business, right, in adoption, and I think there could be some issues there that we should address from the church. But the beauty of adoption is you're looking at a child, and you're saying, you're mine. And my name is now your name. And in adoption, guess what happens? Guess who gets the inheritance? The adopted child gets the inheritance. So we have been adopted as sons and daughters. All right, Exodus 20. Exodus 20. This is about our right response to salvation. Exodus 20, 18 through 21 is our right response to God's presence, right? It should lead us to joy and worship. Exodus 20, verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall, shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. Verse 24. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. That's an important verse. Verse 25. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, which just means chiseled, right? For if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Now, I've got a whole exegetical thing to give you on that one, uh, but we'll save it for another day, the whole idea of nakedness. But it does call us back to the garden, doesn't it? Okay, and the first experience that humankind ever had with shame was Adam and Eve, right? They eat of the forbidden fruit, and what happens? God comes to them, they hide. When do we hide? Do we hide when we're proud, 
or do we hide when we're ashamed? We hide when we're ashamed, okay? And God says, what does God say to him? Who told you you were naked? Right? They were exposed. Now, physically they were exposed. Um, and we're not going to do that here, okay? Uh, we will expose sin, but not your nakedness, okay? Put that in your Bible. Put that in your notes, okay? Make sure that you know that. We're not that kind of a church, all right? But what is God doing here? He's telling us who he is, okay? We talked about this when we were talking about honor your father and mother and the, the sweetness of being someone who's worth honoring. That means that you're a good husband or a good wife, okay? It's not just the child obeys, but it's that the parents are now worth honoring. There's a purity there, okay? Do not commit adultery. That's a command to purity because it's only in a pure heart that God dwells. All right? So what we see here in this idea of you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed is we see again God's heart towards purity. And this is important. All right? But I want you to take a look and we'll, we'll come back to this because later on there's more steps okay, in, in just a couple of chapters. Um, but God protects them and gives them underwear. It's real. It's in the Bible. I swear. Undergarments is what, they, what we call it. Made by uh, Fruit of the Loom. All right? But when you're going up the stairs, right, they wear dresses or uh, robes, okay? Men don't wear dresses, they wear robes or whatever. But if, if they were going up a, the stairs, right, they, oh my gosh, right? And so God protects them because they are going to be called up to the altar, okay? And this is, this is what we'll see later. But God's establishing his purity. So the main idea here, our right response to salvation, what I want us to see is that the singular duty of the Christian is to abide, is to abide, and it's to pursue a relationship with God, to center ourselves in his presence. Ultimately, that's what we're getting after here, okay? The altar is where we come and we lay our stuff down, and we say it's no longer ours, it's, it's yours. And so we can center ourselves in his presence and his power, and that's what transforms us, okay? So I think this looks a lot like worship. This is one of the things, frankly, I think we do really well at the branch, Okay? And can I just give you freedom? Like, if you feel like you need to raise your hand in worship, you can do that here. Not everybody's going to do it, and that's okay. But if that's how, if that's how you feel, do it. No one's going to judge you here, okay? There's some who do it, okay? And that's all right. We all worship in different ways, but if the Spirit is moving us, that's what it looks like to be transformed. So God commands them to make an altar. And why is this important? Because for the first time, God is bringing worship to himself, all right? And on this altar, we see sacrifice. Now, God gives some clear direction around uh, the building of the altar. What is, he wants it st stones from the earth, okay? And what is he trying to do? He's trying to keep things really simple, all right? Look, y'all, we meet in a gym, if you, if you haven't noticed. Church doesn't get much simpler than this. Like, everything we own is on a 16-foot trailer. We don't have staying. Now, I'm not, I'm not opposed to any of this, okay? So this is not me being a cynic, although I am a cynic, okay? But we don't have stained glass, we are, our baptismal pool is literally a horse trough, okay? We just don't have nice stuff, and yet we are pursuing holiness. This is what God's getting after, because here's, here's the reality, and this is true for a lot of churches in our world today and throughout history. That's why it's here in Exodus chapter 20. If we make real fine altars, guess who the object is? We are. We are. You see that thing I built for the church? Pretty sweet, isn't it? I did that with my own hands, right? And all of a sudden, we're being distracted from the purpose of the altar. The altar is where we go to die, okay? 
So it doesn't need to be fancy granite or marble. I don't know which one's fancier. Okay, just full disclosure, if it's granite or marble, maybe someone will tell me. Curtis said something and said whatever he said is probably true. Marble, okay, with Curtis and the women. Uh, so, but, right, the fancy stuff. We don't need that to come into the presence of God. Jesus said, lay your life down and come follow me. That's what sacrifice looks like. Now we're about to see as we move through Exodus a whole lot of bloodshed on these altars. And every drop of blood is pointing to a future blood that will be spilled that can actually atone for the sins of God's people. The ox, I mean, we don't, have, we don't bring oxes in here. We don't have, we've got no donkeys. Maybe some of y'all in North Donaga got some donkeys, but we don't have donkeys. Like, we just don't have them. So our sacrifice isn't some other animal. Our sacrifice has already come. And his name is Jesus. And now what our response to that is, is I'll lay my life down and follow you. All the stuff that I thought was important is not as important as me following after you. So we shouldn't make the altar out of a hewn stone. John McKay says this. He says, an altar made from such costly and aesthetically pleasing stone would be a tribute to human craftsmanship, but it would be defiled from the Lord's point of view because it distracted attention from him and his goodness. I think the reality is we can still do that in a simple church model. We can make the simplicity of how we do church a fancy altar, right? We can get so caught up in, I mean, even this morning, guys, my mic's going in and out. It's bothering me. I'm being serious. That's no one's fault, right? We can make it about, oh man, this mic was out today. That church doesn't have their stuff together. You can't afford nothing. That's not, we're not here for that. We're here to pursue holiness. We're here, as John McKay, to be focused on the attention of God and his goodness. So verse 26, we see God caring about purity. Verse 25, we see him caring a lot about the altar. But I think for us, what we have to realize is that Christ has come in our place. He's the perfect sacrifice. He didn't crawl up on the cross and then get off of it. He died on it. And if you were here during Advent, we talked about the significance of the resurrection. Because we could take those bricks that we were talking about earlier and we can lay them at the foot of the cross, but if Jesus stayed dead, we put it at the wrong cross. So our hope isn't in a bloody cross, but in an empty tomb. Christ has promised that in his resurrection, we too, this is the psalm that we read, we too will be resurrected. And here's what that looks like. All the stuff that we carry around as baggage, the black eyes under the the face of our faith, are finally removed. Finally. You're free. You're free. You don't have to carry it anymore. So stop. Let it go. We like to put teeth whitener on our faith, don't we? Like we have all of our junk together. And so we walk through life like... You see how? I do have a tooth that's a little darker than the other, so don't judge me in this moment. But like we just walk around like you see how... Great my faith is, and in that moment, we've completely forgotten the point. That's the reality. That's the world we live in. So is Exodus 20 for us? Absolutely it is. Because we can hide around behind our mask, and our shame is so heavy. But let me tell you, the gospel is a more comfortable blanket than your shame. It's warmer. It's snugglier. Okay? Those are words that my kids use, the snugglier. I've never heard of it. But worship 
takes place in the presence of God. So no longer retreat. Come near. That's what Christ is telling us to do. Come near. This is what he tells us. I love the disciples because uh, I love Peter. Okay, Peter is the one who really had a hard time with his faith. All right? He was kind of wishy-washy. But Peter is the rock that Christ builds his church on, isn't he? Like Peter is the reason that we're here. Okay? But Peter doubted. Peter denied. He walked out on the water and he sank because he looked up and he just got scared. He didn't trust that God had his highest possible good in mind. When he stepped out of the boat, it takes faith, by the way, to step out of the boat. It does. It also takes faith to stay on top of the water, Peter. That's the moment where I most uh, feel like I'm Peter when he's going down, right? When he's sinking in the water. Matthew 18 says this, this is verse 20, he says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. So what does that have to do with Exodus 20? In Exodus 20, God says this. He says, in every place where I cause my name to be, who's causing his name to be remembered? He is. God is. Every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. In the New Testament, wherever two or more have gathered in my name, there I will be also. It's the same idea. So when we gather here, we should be reverent. Not reverent for reverence sake, but reverent for worship's sake. Because he's a good and loving father who's given everything that we might be brought near. Or as Paul writes in Galatians, that we might be adopted as sons. So we no longer have to bring a sacrifice to the altar. But we do need to bring our true selves. And so the message today is to let loose of your shame, let loose of your fear, and rest fully and finally in the presence of God. So I told you we were going to be in Galatians. We had a preaching team meeting on Friday. I said, don't do this, but I'm doing it. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Dakota got these up there for me, so thank you for that. Just listen. If you have to close your Bible to listen well, close your Bible. If you have to open it and follow along, do that. But listen to these words. Galatians 5, verse 13. And I'm going to read for a minute, okay? So just be patient. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now, these next verses, I'm sure, are verses that you're, you're familiar with if you've been in church at all. I say to you, verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Do you see the people of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai? Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Hello? Well, I'll read it again. Maybe you didn't hear me. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to these. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, 
as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guess whose sin is included in that list? Yours. Yours is. Mine is too. This is not me being pretentious dude up here. Our sin is included in that list. There's probably not a single person in here who said, ah, that's me. Okay, we're all here, right there. Verse 20, 19, 20. But we don't get to stay there. We don't have to stay there. Listen, because we have a what? Verse 22, what's the first word? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Not the fruit of the Spirit's or the fruits of the Spirit. It's one fruit. It's singular. Singular in the Greek as well. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, how much law? None. Zero. None. No law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. We're brought near. We are brought near. And now the fruit of the Spirit has taken the place of the judgment of the law. Amen. I'm going to give you a couple quotes from a couple dead guys that I love a lot. The first is Augustine. And he says this, and you've heard me say this one before, but he says, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Spurgeon says this, God has so made man's heart that nothing can ever fill it but God himself. Such beauty there. I think ultimately at the base of Mount Sinai, what God is pleading for his people to hear is come to me and rest. The first or the last commandment when we talked about the vertical was for what? Number four, Sabbath. The heart behind the Sabbath is to rest. And then he goes into honor your father and mother. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. Rest in me. Rest in me. That's what he's calling us to. Jesus is the true and better Moses who mediates on our behalf to the Father. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. God didn't institute his law so that we might drown in fear or shame. He instituted his law so that we might rest in him and in him alone. Not in your good works, not in your church attendance, not in your family attendance, not in how much you gave to the church or you gave to the adoption agency or you did the thing, but in him and him alone, grace has made a way. Can I define grace for you? It's receiving what you did not deserve and getting what you did not deserve. What we deserve was death. That's what the Bible says over and over and over and over and over and over again. And God takes sin very seriously. Please don't hear me not ever say that. God takes sin very seriously. Whether you're in Christ or not in Christ, your sin is a serious matter to God. Because ultimately, your sin isn't the bad thing that you did. Your sin is your separation from him. And if you're a child of God, he desires you to be in his presence. That is the truth. And so we come to him and we rest because grace has made a way. We were given what we do not deserve. We avoided the cross. Christ did not. We got a seat at the table. We didn't deserve it. Grace has made a way. So now we, I want us to respond, and I want to do, do a better job. Okay? Two things. We respond every week by going to the communion table. And what we do there is we remember that Christ has made the way, that he gave of his body, he poured out his blood so that we could be brought 
near. We no longer have to stand off because of God's tangible expression of himself. Acts says that the Spirit has now come into us, and now we have the power, okay? So the Spirit of God is in us. He is here. The theophany is you. That theology probably breaks down a hundred different ways, so don't, don't take that too far, right? But the Spirit is in us, and so we respond by remembering what Christ has done. That's what we're doing here. If you're someone, though, who is not in faith, there's going to be a whole bunch of people over in that corner. Why don't you come talk to somebody? Because I think there's some truth and there's some reality that you're someone who's still at the base of Mount Sinai a long ways off because you're scared that your shame doesn't belong in this room and you're lying to yourself. And we just want to tell you the truth. So would you let us do that over here? We'll pray with you. Our elders, some of our staff will be over there. Um, And so we want to make that time available. But let's go now to the table and respond by taking the bread, dipping in the cup, because he is good and he is faithful. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to be uh, in your presence together as brothers and sisters. I'm thankful that the truth of Exodus 20 that's echoed in Galatians is the truth in our life, that we have been brought near through a better mediator in Christ. And so now would you accept our worship as a good gift, as an offering back uh, at the altar that you have given us. And so we love you, and as we continue to walk through Exodus, I pray that we would be very mindful as you continue to establish your law that you are after our highest possible good, which is you. So we love you. We thank you. I'm so grateful for this church and this building that we get to meet in. I pray that you would continue to help and stir our affections towards you. Uh, May all of our praise and all of our songs, all of our family groups uh, be for you. We, We want to be in your presence and we want to rest and dwell there. So we love you. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.